You're listening to Learning Now Radio, bringing you the best news, views, and interviews from the team that brings you Learning Now TV. This is Learning Now Radio. Hello, I'm Colin Steed, and I'd like to welcome you to Learning Now Radio. Learning Now Radio is our bi monthly podcast for all learning professionals. This is Learning Now Radio with Colin Steed and Lisa Minogue White. And welcome to episode five of Learning Now Radio. A special thank you to everyone who subscribed to the channel. And also thank you to everyone who took the time to send us your feedback on last episode's interview with Clark Quinn. We'd really do appreciate it. Lisa, what have we got on the programme today? Well, Colin, in this episode, I'm catching up with Donald Taylor, maestro of all things learning and development and author of the new book Webinar Master. We'll be talking about some of the things that Donald believes makes for a successful webinar and why they're such a valuable medium. I also took the opportunity to ask him what he believes the future of learning and development is going to look like and what's on the horizon for 2016. Learning Now Radio. All the best news, reviews and interviews. So I'm delighted on this episode of Learning Now Radio to be speaking with Donald Taylor. I'm going to take a very deep breath now while I introduce him and his many, many titles and roles. <laughs> Author of Webinar Master, a new book that's hot off the binary presses. Chairman of the Learning and Performance Institute. Chairman of the Learning and Skills Group. Chairman of the Learning Technologies Conference. I think I've got it all in there, Donald. Welcome to Learning Now Radio. Thank you very much. Is that everything? No, obviously, obviously there are lots of other things. And seemingly, when I'm introduced these days, people seem to say veteran, which I don't need to be happy about or, or otherwise. But there we are. I've been around for a while. Um, Donald, you know that I'm close to a milestone birthday. There is no way I'm going to refer to you as veteran because that will also <laughs> be bestowed upon me soon. So, no, we can gloss over that one. But given, let's use the um, euphemism, your experience in uh, the the learning and development world, I was really intrigued to find out that you'd recently published a book. I thank you for making it less than 80 pages because I have huge sympathy for people that interview people uh, regularly on new books they've written and how quickly they have to get through the massive tomes. But I've been reading it um, over the last couple of evenings and The first question I really wanted to ask you is what inspired you to write the book and concentrate specifically on webinars? Well, and concentrate specifically on webinars as opposed to online live delivery of training, which I think is important because Colin, of course, has done a great book on that. And there's lots of stuff in that field already. But the reason I did it is because I've been hosting webinars for the Learning and Skills Group for something like eight years, Uh, have coached hundreds of people, all of them to deliver good webinars and I realized that I probably had something to share that was worth sharing for, I don't know, I don't, it costs them like £3, $5, this book. So, you know, it, it's if, if you buy it and you find one thing that's useful out of my eight years of experience, you're probably ahead of the game. And I thought it's probably the right sort of transaction to do. It's all part, really, Lisa, of the idea of sharing stuff that's been useful so other people don't have to repeat the horrible mistakes that you've made in your life. And goodness knows I've made a few just in webinars alone. And I think that's an interesting one to to pause on because there's a lot of press and an an awful lot of enthusiasm, actually, really, I suppose, led by Jane Bozarth on working out loud and and sharing these types of insights. 
And I think keeping it so concise, I think my writing thinking it's 76 pages long. Exactly. I think, I do so. have I think, I think it does here. depend which format you've got, but I think 76 is the number of pages, yeah. Let's not go back to age, Donald. I don't need it in big print yet, which of course <laughs> would make it long more pages. But I, I was really intrigued with, the, the, with talking about the clarity of role, because I think that's something that is often glossed over with webinars. Mm. Um, you concentrate, I, I love things that you had to say about the fact, and I'm guilty of this as well, of titivating slides to the end degree of making sure the design is utterly perfect and it's um, trying to communicate exactly what you want it to communicate but in the end the importance of role and content and message and voice are some of the things that really leapt out from the book for me. I'm glad you've mentioned that Lisa because it's terribly important to me I know particularly people who've got a learning and development background people who've got a design background love to make their slides look great Reflecting on these eight years of experience, I've had people do webinars where they have a single word on a slide and they have perhaps 10 of those and they do a great job. And I've had people do presentations which just consist of <gasps> bullet points on slides and they do a great job. And my conclusion is that, yes, what you have is very important visually. Let's not take it away. It's very important, but it's not the most important thing. Of the six things that I think make up a webinar, I think it's the sixth most important thing. I know Colin disagrees with me on this, but uh, we'll just have to have a, a good debate about it. Uh, it's based on my experience. I'm not saying it's not important. What I'm saying is don't fall into the comfort zone trap of titivating your slides because you can when the crucial thing is to make sure that your content is valuable, that you've got the right structure linking everything together that your voice is good and that you've got particularly interaction built into the presentation throughout so that your audience is with you and are participating rather than sitting passively. All those have to come before what your slides look like. Now, you could assume that people that want to do a webinar will naturally be gravitating towards that medium because they're comfortable with presenting. But all, all the things that you've said there, they understand the clarity of message, they understand the, the use of voice and use of pace and tone and that they would feel really very confident doing a webinar. But I think, do you know, for me, one of the things that resonated more than anything else, and this has come from my own experience as well, is the difference with having a, uh, the supporting roles around yeah. you versus yeah. going it alone. I know sometimes you do have to go it alone, but I just don't think you can underestimate the value of having somebody else there being able to read the room because you can't read the room that's so, so, so dichotomy but you can't really read the room but if you've got somebody just watching that chat what getting a, a feel for where this is going and almost being that critical friend that can support you as you go through i felt that your breakdown of presenter host producer marketer administrator and of course attendee is a really big takeaway for those that may think you know i can present i can do this uh, thank you for saying that again lisa i think i do think you're right and when I've been talking about Webinar Master, the book available via a variety of platforms for listeners who've come into the middle of the podcast, yes. when I've been talking about uh, Webinar Master with, with people, that is the big thing people take away. Oh, I thought I could do it all by myself. Yes, you can. But I liken, like a lot of people do probably, uh, delivering a webinar to learning how to drive a car. If you're trying to drive a car and navigate and probably have a conversation with somebody else at the same time and you're a beginner you're liable to make a mistake. Fortunately, with a webinar, it's not going to be as potentially dangerous as it is with a car, but you're liable to make a mistake if you try to do everything at once. I've seen people do everything at once. Bob Mosier, for example, does an exemplary job 
of being able to structure his presentation, deliver it well, and deal with all the chat at the same time as if it's a breeze. But that's a bit like watching an Olympic gymnast where you say, yes, of course I could do that, and you end up falling off the bars first time you try it. <laughs> the, the, the trick really, as you say, is getting the host along. And the host has a number of things to do. And I think one of the most important things for the host is to, I call it, ride shotgun on everything else. So as you say, they're looking at the chat. But they also, I think, need to do everything else as well. In particular, for me, when I'm hosting the Learning and Skills Group webinars and I'm coaching people beforehand, one of my key roles is to make people feel they can do it. Because very often I'm dealing with people who've done a handful, if any, of these webinars before. And they need to feel confident about it. And the reason they need to feel confident is that that comes over in their voice. And the voice, particularly in the first minute, two minutes of a presentation, are terribly important because it's what the audience judge you on. It's your body language, it's your dress, it's your facial expression, it's everything all rolled up into one. And it's a very sensitive instrument. If you feel nervous, it shows in your voice. If you don't, if you feel confident because you've got somebody who's helped you get to a good position, you feel good, the audience feels good too, everyone comes along for the ride. So the host has a number of roles, one of which is to build that confidence, not misplaced. I mean, you have to give valuable advice, but to build that confidence in the speaker. And then, as you say, to make sure that this person, all they have to do is concentrate on delivering what you've agreed they're going to deliver, and the host will take care of everything else and leave them looking good and feeling good at the end of it and having delivered something that's really valuable for the people who are participating. Well, on that note, in terms of the, the role the host plays, what are your thoughts on, um, because most of the webinars that I've attended or that I've delivered, and I don't know if it's the same for you, uh, Donald, have predominantly concentrated on one presenter with all those supporting roles, but it's one presenter presenting their story, whatever that may well be. What about those webinars that take a more conversational approach? So essentially you are listening in on a conversation between two people or maybe more. Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, firstly, from a very practical point of view, if the two voices are different, it can be tremendously successful. Uh, you've got an American accent, a British accent, you've got um, a man and a woman. That just makes it more interesting to listen to. And I'm totally in favor of that. But again, we come back to the first element of the webinar, the content. Is it valuable? Now, there are some conversations you can listen to where you think, oh, my Lord, that was an absolute treat to be invited in to hear these two people having a discussion about something. There are other conversations, the sort of things you overhear on the train, where you think, my goodness, why are these people wasting their time having this conversation? <laughs> you don't want that to be the case if you've invited people along to a webinar. And so what I would say is, in my experience, there are two things here. Firstly, there's the two views, and there's the two voices. Great, let's use them. Also, let's make sure we've got some good content that people can latch onto and say, that was tremendous and I took that away. And so what I would do is I'd structure it in a way that there is enough between the two people in a structured way to begin with in terms of them getting across a certain number of messages and then interaction between each other and or interaction between them and the participants that enable people to feel there's a real conversation taking place because interaction makes a huge difference. And you know, Lisa, that with the LSG webinars, we have someone talking for 35 minutes typically and the rest of it being interaction between me and them on the basis of what people have said in the chat. And that works tremendously well. And again, it comes back to having two voices. That works tremendously well, not because it's me, but because we've had great people participating in the chat area, great thoughts coming out. Uh, and people are hearing two people discussing it, 
And more importantly, they've contributed to the discussion. And I think we shouldn't leave out the fact that there are people out there in the room who are valuable contributors to every webinar. We need to help them get their voice heard. Well, and on that note, I think one of the things that can be a little bit disconcerting if you've not done webinars before, and particularly if you've come from a presentation background, is of course, Mm -hmm. you don't have all those normal cues and you don't have that immediate feedback. So it can be a little bit unnerving when you feel like you're presenting into the ether. Um, What tips do you have in terms of structuring your content or any particular interactions you would put into a webinar? Which ones have you seen are the most successful in drawing out the voice of the attendee? Well, you're right that people who haven't done it before can either be lazy and say, well, I just do what I did in the classroom or in a face-to-face presentation that won't work, or they can really work and they can build stuff in a way that will help them succeed. And I'll talk about that in just a second, but I know when I speak to these people after doing a presentation, one common theme comes through. I say, how are you feeling? They say, I'm exhausted. And the reason they're exhausted is they've been trying to work in a completely different way to what they're used to. Their body's telling them, I want to look around the room, see how it's going, get feedback from people. It's not there. But there are other ways of getting that feedback. So how do you structure yourself so you can do it and structure what you're going to do so you can have a good event? The key thing for me, and it's so simple, the key thing for me is to get people engaged from the off. If people are engaged very quickly, right at the start, then immediately you've got a barometer. You've got a way of understanding, is what you're saying working with people or not? And if you've got a good host, they'll keep you online as well, reading the texts that people are writing and coming back and giving you some pointers. So very, very simply, yes, you've got to do everything. You've got to structure things clearly. You've got to have focus. So it's very clear you're telling one clear story all the way through and people aren't going to get lost mentally. But the most important thing of all the things you can do to ensure that your audience is sitting forward, engaged, ready to be part of your webinar, is to ask questions. And do that up front. Have a question as your second slide. And it needs to be open, so not something they can answer with a single word. It needs to be ideally emotional, relate to something that is they feel something about rather than it's simply factual. And ideally, it should be contextualized towards their work, not personal. So you might ask some a question like, how do you believe your organization succeeding in the field of what is your organization doing about um let's say measuring the impact of learning programs that people have to give an answer to that it might sound like it's unemotional but for most people in the learning development space that's a very emotional topic they'll get engaged straight away and you can get a feel immediately for your audience and here's the great thing about webinars lisa you can't do this very easily in a face-to-face event you can't have 150 people all writing their responses to something simultaneously or throwing their hands up and shouting their answers out, but you can do it online. So webinars, I just want to make this point, are not a poor man's meeting. They are something that have benefits by virtue of how they are put together in their own right, which live events, face-to-face events, don't have. Short answer to your question, how can you get people engaged? Ask them questions and make sure you ask your question as early as possible. There we go. And you read my mind on my last question was going to be, why do a webinar? It was exactly that. You know, in, in the round, there's some fantastic tips. People can read the book. It's, there's some really useful checklists before you decide to embark on a webinar. Or even if 
you've got a couple of hours before you're about to do a webinar. There's some also some great tips that you can take very quickly. But that was going to be my final question. Why do a webinar? And I, I really like to pick up on one point mm. that you made there, that um, one of the key drivers today is that that the individuals in organizations and all types of organizations are looking for effective, easy ways to be able to connect with other voices in a safe environment. And I think you just can't underestimate the value of, in fact, it shouldn't really be called the back channel because it, hmm. that, that's, it, that's where it's all happening. You are structuring or helping to inspire or provoke a conversation that you then start to see people that have a, clearly have a similar need because they've gravitated to your webinar topic, starting to be able to express either their frustrations or their ideas or their challenges and you see them build knowledge together and I think that's the best part about a webinar myself. I think you've just answered your own question. I haven't sat in a single webinar for eight years where I haven't learned something by watching other people share their opinions. It's their opinions, their thoughts, their experiences, the resources. I always come away having learned sometimes a great deal, sometimes with a new perspective on things. Now, in today's world where you've got to get information to people quickly, where people have to share stuff internally quickly, I think the webinar is the ideal way, if it's structured correctly, is the ideal way of helping that happen. We all know that the role of the learning and development department as the gatekeeper to knowledge is gone because most of the sum total of human knowledge is available via the internet. But the bit that isn't is the bit that really matters. The bit that you can't get on the internet because it's the secret source of what makes your organization great and also the particular issues it's challenged with at the moment, that knowledge, that information is stuff that learning and development has to surface, spread out and tackle as quickly as possible. And guess what? If we try to do it in the old way of having, I don't know, an Addy approach to developing a course about it, by the time we've done it, it's too late. But if you get the people involved together to share that, come to conclusions about it possibly or possibly simply just be pointed in the right direction for answers, that's a tremendous learning experience to have. I started off this podcast saying this is in contrast to the live online delivery of learning, and I stay with that. But that's not to say that it's not about learning. So much really valuable learning takes place in a webinar precisely because it's not driven, but because it's shared by the participants. Well, back in the old knowledge management days, Donald, we would have ah. said the, the difference between explicit and tacit knowledge. Yes, and we're and surfacing exactly the tacit it. knowledge. Absolutely right. And I took part, the other thing that I wanted to talk to you about today, Donald, I took part in the webinar that was the uh, launch of the Tools Maturity Benchmarking Report. Yep. Um, recently, I thought um, Joe, uh, Joe Cook and Laura Overton did a fantastic job, but I felt I was participating in quite a landmark webinar. And I will say for why, that's because the back channel really was something else. It was alive with comment. And a lot of it, uh, heated maybe be the, may be the wrong word, but certainly passionate. There's a lot of mm. emotion because yeah. of the uh, results of the report. And the other thing I wanted to talk to you about today is one of the things you bring out in the book, you know, associated specifically with webinars is clarity of role. Now, role of L&D. 
This is such an incredibly hot topic. And it's not one that's new, but for whatever reason at the moment, there seem to have been an, a number of stars in alignment that have really brought this to the fore. I've seen a lot of criticism of L&D recently. And I've got a, a quote from a piece that I uh, published on uh, LinkedIn Pulse recently that I wanted to read out to you because I would really like to know your opinion and certainly drawing on, obviously, your role with the LPI, what you think is going to happen in 2016. And that was the, the paper that I wrote was on performance catalysts, the role that I think learning and development can play in performance catalysts. And one of the comments that I had on the piece was... Why not get rid of L&D professionals per se and develop every line manager in the skills required of an all-round L&D professional, given that they should understand the learning needs of the business being closest to the action? I would really like to know your thoughts on that. Managers are busy people. Ideally, of course, they should be doing that. Ideally, absolutely, it's their role. Ideally, managers should not be trying to do the stuff they were doing when they weren't managers. But when they become a manager, they should be solely engaged in managing their people, ensuring that they get the best out of those people, that people are flourishing, and that the organization is getting the most from them. That's not how it goes in reality. In reality, most managers are doing their day job and they're managing people, and they're extremely busy people. I would love to see a world in which not we got rid of the L&D department, but which all managers were effectively L&D people, and there was a department as well, which stepped away from the old provision of materials as being its primary role and stepped into a role of helping managers be the performance support capability builders that they can be. But I think that... It's a pipe dream to suggest that we're anywhere near having that at the moment because most managers have simply got a pile of stuff on their desk they can't get through by the end of Friday afternoon. To add something else to their desk, no matter how much it should be the right thing to do, we're simply not there yet. There's one other thing that learning and development department has to do as well, and uh, I think this is an important thing. I always say there are three questions we need to ask in L&D, and only three questions. One is what's the short-term performance need? Yes, managers should absolutely be on the case with that. Two, what's the longer term capability building requirement for the organization? And ideally, managers should be on that as well, perhaps with input from other people strategically planning in the organization. But there is a third thing to do with organizational L&D, which I don't believe managers have an immediate role in, which is building the foundations that support the other two questions, support the ability to raise individual performance, and support the ability to build long-term capability. So I'm talking about the provision of technologies, the imposition of systems, but also about the setting of the right culture and organizationally and individually, helping individuals understand how to learn effectively. Now, I think asking managers to do any of that is pushing their job a step too far. I think that those things, which if you like are the sort of meta role of L&D beyond the immediate provision, but it's making sure that the provision can be done effectively, those roles absolutely do belong in a highly skilled, highly professional, and probably smaller learning and development department than typically exists today. 
Well, on that note with the um, those professionals that are utterly focused, and I'm really glad that you brought out both the short-term and long-term, mm. because I think there's a, an awful lot of content and rhetoric out there on uh, performance support and the ability for people to find what they need at, a, at that point of need. Um, uh, but I am very very passionate about the fact that there are long-term strategic maneuvers that organizations need to make that need to be underpinned by clarity of strategy people understand the role that they take that they play in that strategy and that is underpinned by just as you've said culture systems the way that we recruit the way we develop develop talent management mm. uh, project management process quality all those things if people understand their role in strategy, they are much more able to flourish. Sure. And it's, it can't just be managers' role. Well. There are other people that can play an important part. Learning development are absolutely crucial on that. But if we focus on them and say, okay, if that's the role, that the, the world you've described then, Donald, if that's the role they're going to take, how are we going to support learning and development to be able to take that role and take it with a surety and confidence and credibility? How long do we have in this podcast, Lisa? Well, quite. I know. This could be... <laughs> it might be so many episodes of this. Seriously, we can't, we can't possibly... People have a limited attention span. I love the fact they've stayed with us even this long. But that question you've asked me, that is a conference in itself. It's a day-long conference in itself. But the short answer is that an organisation, I believe it's the Learning Performance Institute, has to set a vision not that describes the profession as it is now, but that describes the profession as it must be in the future to succeed, to serve the organization, to serve the individuals within it, and to be a valued profession rather than, as it currently is, sadly, a, an auxiliary activity largely, which is not seen as being linked to performance, either in the short term or the long term. It has to be led by a capable body. Of course, I believe it's the LPI, the Learning Performance Institute. And that has to be done by setting out not necessarily a series of exams that people are expected to take, but a series of outcomes and abilities that people are expected to have. And I think if we do that, then we're taking the first step towards building a learning and development profession for the future. Well, let's see what 2016 holds, Donald. I think a lot of those conversations, a lot of those steps are already being taken. So it'd be really interesting to see what promise 2016 holds and where we are. And perhaps we ought to put a date in the diary, Donald, to have this conversation again this time next year. 1st of December 2016. Let's get on Skype and let's see how far we've got. Yeah, exactly. You all heard it here first. So, Donald, thank you so much for being able to speak to us today on Learning Now Radio. Lovely. Hey, look, everybody out there, who is doing a great job with L&D, thank you for what you're doing because you make organisations better, individuals better, and you raise the profile of the profession. So I want to say thanks to everybody out there listening. Thank you. Learning Now Radio. All the best news, reviews and interviews. Well, that's it for episode five. We hope you've enjoyed it and you've managed to jot down some great takeaways from Don's interview there. Please remember to share Learning Now Radio with your colleagues, your Twitter followers, and of course, your Facebook friends. In the next episode, I'll be talking to Paul Morgan, Head of Learning at Telefonica O2, and getting an insight into working in learning and development in a fast-paced, complex organisation such as a mobile telco, 
He'll be telling me how his team are meeting some of the challenges and demands facing learning and development today and the skills that he believes make for a successful learning team and foster a fantastic learning organisation. So I hope you can join us then. Thank you so much for joining us on Learning Now Radio. Please help us to spread the word by subscribing and rating us on iTunes. And Lisa and I look forward to you joining us in two weeks' time.